Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in situ CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. Hello, and welcome back to Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19 series. This is part one of episode two on the theme of cooperation. Let's face it, as human beings, working together can be difficult in the best of times. But now the pandemic has made things even more challenging. And whether we're researchers, activists, or volunteers, I think we're all kind of wondering, how do we organize? How do we collaborate? How do we help each other? Given that it's not safe for us to gather in person or travel or do any of the things we'd normally do to make teamwork happen. And under the circumstances, is it still possible to accomplish anything meaningful as a team? Our first storyteller of cooperation is Brazilian researcher Diana Bertuol Garcia. Her story was recorded at her home in Sao Paulo. Because we weren't able to ship equipment to Diana, her story is recorded using her smartphone microphone, and we appreciate your understanding with regard to the audio quality. It's March 13, 2020. Me and my group are part of a probably very small percentage of the world population that does not know there's a pandemic going on. So in case you don't remember, the pandemic was declared like two days before that. So sure, we know about COVID. We know it's already in a lot of places. But it seems like a very far away disease that has nothing to do with us. Why? We're in the middle of the Patagonian fjords in Chile at a local forest service shelter. So it's a seven-hour boat ride from the nearest town and a 10-hour drive from the nearest airport. So this is one of the most remote places on Earth. It's a landscape carved by glaciers. Steep fjord walls covered by tanker rainforests, icebergs in the water with a glacier on the background. And maybe on those few lucky weather days when the sky clears, you can see the southern ice field in the back. So you can imagine why COVID was not on our minds. So we're there to do a population census of the southern Indian deer. They are this beautiful stocky deer native to the region, but they are super endangered. They have suffered like 99% reductions in population size and only 1,500 individuals remain in the wild. The fjords around us have one of the largest remaining populations. So it's a high priority for monitoring and conservation. 
this is my third time coming to this place and it's just my favorite place of all the amazing places I was lucky enough to get to know while working in Patagonia. Just something about being here in the middle of the fjords and seeing this large population of a disappearing species that makes me hopeful for their conservation, for the conservation of the region. So I'm here to coordinate the research, but also as an instructor for four students. So our group actually involves me, a co-instructor, the students, and two park rangers. And we're all part of a larger group of staff and students that remain in what we call our base camp, which is a three-hour drive from where we got on the boat. And right now they're doing a different research project. We have about 20 students and all of our students are in their second or third year of college and they've come from the US to Patagonia to spend one semester with us learning about the region's ecology, culture and conservation. Throughout the semester, we all live in tents and when we're in base camp, we share a small shelter with a table and an improvised kitchen. So in these rustic conditions, you really get to know each other. With me now in the fjords, there's Max, who's always calm and positive, paints beautiful watercolors. Seth, who's always super excited about everything and often takes the lead on organization. Anna, that has a spot-on acid humor that you can never tell if she's joking or being serious. And Laura, the youngest, super sweet girl, but always looking for something that she lost or misplaced. But anyway, here in the fjords, Max, Anna, Laura, and Seth are mostly just excited to see this elusive deer we've been talking so much about. So we're starting to cook dinner. The next day, we plan to leave for a backpacking expedition to count all deer we can see and service some camera traps. When I go to send our daily everything's good message on the inReach, I see that we have a received message from Basecamp. Something like, things have taken a turn for the worse. Call us on the satellite phone. So I don't even give myself time to figure out what this means. I just grab my satellite phone and I go outside. And it's raining, so I know the connection will be bad but I managed to place the call anyway. And from the other end, all that they are able to tell me and I can't understand is something in the lines of pandemic declare, program cancel, you have to get back as soon as possible. Students are going back home to the US. That's it. So satellite phones are just not meant for longer conversations. I have so many questions that I didn't get time to put into words. Like when and why was the pandemic declared? Why are we canceling the program if there are no cases in our region? Are there new cases in our region now? How should I tell the news to the students? What about the deer monitoring? How should I tell the news to the park rangers who drove us on the boat all the way here just a few days ago? I, I don't want to get back. You know, I want to count some deer and see some glaciers. And it's a lot of work to get here. So it seems like a waste of time and resources to go back now. But mostly, I don't want to be the person responsible for telling the news to the students and the park rangers and ain't everyone's fun. But it was not my decision to make, so I tell them. And of course everyone's upset. The students don't want to end one of the best experiences of their lives. Anna tells me that this decision doesn't make any sense and that she will not go back home to the West, but she'll travel around Chile before. Seth cannot stop talking about all the future possible scenarios of the pandemic. Max, on the contrary, is silent. Goes for a walk outside to process everything. And I let them be. I feel like there's not much I can say or do. The park rangers are also not happy. They don't want to get back without doing some research. And I agree with them. But even without much information, I have to set my foot down that we need to get back. And so we start our journey back. 
And it's a crazy journey because our plans keep changing all the time. So first, not even like 15 minutes into our boat drive, we hear the news that Tortel, the town that we were going to with the boat, is in quarantine because a cruise ship stopped in town and had a COVID case. So if you set foot in Tortel, we can't leave for 14 days. So we changed planes. We decided to go to another place, another dock, where a lead staff from base camp will come with a car to pick us up. And as we're driving to base camp, we have to change plans again because we hear the news about suspected cases of COVID close to base camp and maybe some quarantine there too. So we decide not to stop there and just drive to 10 hours straight to the town near the airport. And then finally, during that long drive, finally get some time to get caught up on the world news. So we learn about the increase in cases, the health system collapse in Italy, the whole thing. We also learned the US closed its borders to Europe so we are all starting to understand the decision to cancel the program and that we need to go back home now or we might not be able to go home at all. I even hear Anna call her family and start arranging her flights back home. So after that long day of boat and, and driving, we arrive at the hotel where the rest of the group already is. And I just, I just go to bed thinking a good night's sleep will solve everything. But I'm woken up the next day with the news that Chile is closing its borders in two days from now. And a lot of students come to us telling us that their flights have just been canceled. So the pandemic's just not giving us a break. Anyway, a couple moments later, the rest of the staff is out doing some errands. And I'm alone with the students who are all connecting to the Wi-Fi, trying desperately to book or rebook their flights back home. And then the hotel owner appears. And he yells from far away. Your group cannot stay here. I know you're in the town of Tortel. It takes me a while to figure out what he's saying. I don't understand why he thinks we're in Tortel. So I get closer to talk to him. Even though most students don't speak Spanish and we're speaking in Spanish, I don't want them to think there's something wrong. But as I walk toward the man, he takes a few steps back and he yells, Ma'am, I have to ask you to stay away. And then it hits me that he thinks I might have COVID. Tortel is the town quarantine and is all over the news. Okay, I think. Well, I just have to explain to him that we actually never set foot in Tortel after the cruise ship arrived. So none of us have been exposed to COVID, so there's nothing to worry. And I do, calmly. And the man answers, I know you're in Tortel. You have to get out. Sometimes... I'm so angry. What do you mean you know you're in Tortel? You know from where? From your imagination? Because I actually know for a fact that we never set foot in Tortel. And at this point, students are all looking at us. They know something's wrong. But I get my act together and I explain to him again. But the man just won't change his mind. And he keeps saying that he knows apparently better than us where we were. And I try to explain to him and again and again. But I get angry and angry every time that I try to explain. And at some point, I just give up. So we get kicked out of the hotel. So now I'm alone with the students on the sidewalk with no Wi-Fi and no place to stay. In less than 24 hours, I got out of the Patagonian fjords and I landed in the middle of this global pandemic, have to take care of my group of students and make sure they get on a flight home before borders closed. I'm totally desperate. I have no idea what to do. I'm almost crying. But apparently my students know what to do because they see me clearly in distress and they come to me and they calm me down. Anna who speaks Spanish, so understood everything that happened, tells me that the guy was a jerk and she knows I did my best. Seth tells me not to worry that things are going to be all right. And I'm comforted by the fact that they are calm, even though I don't still believe things are going to be all right. But the fact is that 
they are right. Not long after that, things begin to settle and the rest of the staff actually finds us a place to stay. So when we arrive there, I just, I stay inside the car thinking about everything. And I've been mostly holding everything together up until now, but being alone for the first time in the past few days, I just suddenly feel all the weight of it. And I just burst into tears. I cannot stop crying. The last few days have been so overwhelming. I don't even know what to make of it. But then I look outside the car and I see that students are helping each other with packs. They're making lunch. Spirits are high. They're enjoying some of the last few moments we all have together as a group. And I'm still crying. But it's it's for a different reason now. And I'm I'm no longer worried. So even with my puffy eyes, I get out of the car and I join them for lunch. So in the next few days, everyone managed to book their flights and I say goodbye to a few students every day. The last group, including me, leaves the day before most flights in Chile are shut down. So less than a week after I received that message in the fjords, I'm in my family's home in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I'm missing our group. But I'm so grateful for our last few crazy days together. And I also miss the glaciers and the deers, but I bet they're enjoying some peace now during this global pandemic. That was Diana Bertuol Garcia. Diana is a Brazilian biologist and teacher. She has an undergraduate degree in biology and a master's degree in ecology, all from the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. She has worked at the interface of science, education, and practice in conservation, leading conservation academic programs with Brown River Conservation Studies in Chile and Patagonia for three semesters. After a change in plans due to the pandemic, she's currently applying for PhD programs to pursue her interest in ecological research. Before we move on to our interview segment, I just want to give a quick reminder that you can catch more true personal stories about science at our weekly online shows. Tonight, in fact, we have another science story slam where you can put your name in the virtual hat for a chance to be invited on screen to share your science story. In December, the winners of the five slams we've held so far will compete in a super collider slam for the ultimate prize, a story collider hoodie. And take my word for it, these hoodies are extremely cozy. Find out more at storycollider.org. To learn more about how we're cooperating during the pandemic or not cooperating, as the case may be, I spoke with Athena Actipis, professor of psychology at Arizona State University and the co-director of the Human Generosity Project. Uh, Athena, thanks for being with us today. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this because you study cooperation, which I think is so fascinating. It is a topic that spans so many different areas, so many different systems. And, you know, it's a human universal. People cooperate and help each other in times of need. Hopefully. <laughs> it sounds like very <laughs> uplifting work. It is. It's, um, you know, we, we kind of take a different approach than a lot of the previous work that has been using a kind of evolutionary approach to cooperation. I mean, I would say almost has been a little cynical, like, you know, oh, you can only get cooperation under these really specific circumstances. But 
our work shows it's a lot broader than that. And it's a really kind of natural instinct to um, cooperate with others when they're in need, when you see need. That's great news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need some good news, right? So Yeah, very true. I'm really excited to talk to you about your recent project, which you started just before the beginning of the pandemic. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're looking at changes in cooperation and interdependence and also a whole load of other factors like anxiety, stress, um, people's attitudes about the future, uh, and how those have changed since the pandemic began. So, so yeah, we started the project just a few days before the pandemic started, um, before it was officially declared by the World Health Organization. It's actually really amazing that you were able to anticipate <laughs> everything and that you were able to get this going and mobilized before the pandemic started to get that data collected early on. Yeah, well, you know, it all started because my colleague, Peter Todd, who um, now is really kind of leading this um, project about cooperation and interdependence and thinking about the future and all of that during COVID, um, he was visiting ASU, visiting my lab. Um, this was right before the pandemic. So, I mean, this was literally the last like colleague who I saw in person. <laughs> um, and we were we were just chatting in my office about like you know oh have you noticed that there's this pandemic that is <laughs> yeah well, it wasn't a pandemic then right it was just a this, yeah. this spreading um epidemic and um you know our our voices kind of got a little more hushed and we're like you know do, do you think this is going to like keep expanding and then we like close the door because I like I don't know if you remember what it was like then but like people thought you were weird if you thought that there was something going on you know so I close yeah. the door and then and we're we're like yeah I think like it's gonna get bad and at that point you know the like scientists and both of us were like we should start collecting data <laughs> so not to make light of it but it was uh, when times get tough, scientists collect data. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, so we then got together this, you know, team of um, graduate students in my lab and then other um, academics who are, you know, in all these different disciplines. And, you know, we basically said, all right, you know, we want to put together this study, what should we put in it and how can we get it started as soon as possible? And, you know, I called up our um, human subjects board and said, hey, you know, this is coming today. Um, it's really urgent. We want to get, you know, data collected before things get worse. And they just like turned it around for us in 24 hours and wow. we, we got it done. Um, so, you know, I'm also really grateful just to be at a place where, you know, the human subject research, the IRB board, they just, they pay attention to those kinds of things and help get things through, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a lot of cooperation. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> so what specific aspects of cooperation were you looking at with these surveys? So one of the things that we're really interested in is the extent to which people feel like they should help each other in times of need or their willingness to help in times of need. So some of the questions that we ask um, have to do with that. And other questions have to do with how interdependent people feel with others. So um, in particular, we were interested in how interdependent people felt with their neighborhoods and their neighbors 
And um, then on the other hand, how interdependent they felt with all of humanity. Hmm. And so we were able to look at how those change over time, um, over the course of the pandemic. So what did you expect to find out back in March? Well, it's interesting you ask because not everybody on the team agreed. Um, some of us, um, like myself, I guess you could say, like, even though I study cheating and exploitation and hijacking and zombification, all of that, like, I'm kind of uh, underneath it all, like an optimist about human nature. <laughs> um, and then, um, but some of my colleagues, uh, may were a little more cynical. They're like, oh, when bad things happen, like, it just brings out the worst in people. So, um, so we, you know, different people on the team had different hypotheses about what would happen. And we were all kind of approaching it from this perspective of just being really interested, you know, in what would happen. And then, um, you know, hopefully being able to understand a little bit more about human nature in times of crisis through the work. So I thought mostly cooperation, feelings of interdependence are going to go up. Um, and, you know, what we found was that some of our measures of cooperation and interdependence went up. In particular, the questions that are sort of related to um, it, the, the interdependent side of things. Um, so those went up over the first month or so of the pandemic. Um, but when it came to um, people's willingness to help others and their endorsement of this idea that helping others in times of need is the right thing to do, it was more mixed. So, hmm. um, yeah, so people's endorsement of this idea that it's the right thing to do to help others actually went down. Um, but at the same time, um, people reported that they'd be actually more likely to let a displaced person who is not a citizen of their own country live in their house. So, wow. you know, yeah, so it, it, it's not like all of these factors were changing together. And, you know, that could be because there are, you know, subtle differences in these um, questions that maybe tap into different aspects of cooperation. Um, it might also be that this unique situation of the pandemic also um, just, you know, sort of brought up different constraints and issues, right? So like maybe um, in general, I might feel like helping you know, anybody who is in need is the right thing to do. Like I would endorse that. But if it's the pandemic, maybe I think, okay, well, I just need to take care of my family. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm speculating here because we don't really know why. Um, but that's one possibility, you know, is that, um, that people's frame of, you know, who they should take care of might shift. Um, so, we're, you know, we're continuing to collect data now, um, you know, to follow up, to get a little bit deeper into some of these questions. Um, and we also, uh, I mean, this is kind of cool and exciting. We have this um, system on our website where you can actually go in and look at a bunch of the responses to questions over time and see how they change. So anybody can go on our website and, um, and look at that. Oh, neat. What's the website? It is cooperationintheapocalypse.org. <laughs> That's great. That wasn't already taken. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped in there right when the pandemic started. I'm like, I'm getting that one. <laughs> so, <gasps> I'm also kind of interested to know how the data you were collecting changed over time because you started in March and you're still collecting it, right? Yeah. So is your question about the 
kinds of questions that we're asking or other things that have changed since the beginning of um, the pandemic? Maybe both. Did you ask the same questions all the way through or did the questions you were asking change over time? So some of the questions we've asked all the way through. So we've asked, you know, these items about interdependence, willingness to help others, um, also uh, how people perceive the future, um, their risk, their perceived risk of contracting COVID. So there's many questions that we've asked all throughout. But then there are also questions that we um, decided that we should add as the pandemic was going on. And, and one, one of those areas is asking about mask wearing mm-hmm. and um, looking at how people's attitudes about mask wearing relate to things like their political orientation, their sex, their age, um, and then also um, how their number of social contacts in a week, um, how that correlates with mask wearing. So we're, you know, right now kind of at this stage where we are trying to um, pull a lot of this data together to see if there are any insights about um, mask wearing that could maybe be um, valuable for intervention. So um, that's, that's the stage that we're at right now. And it's, um, it's pretty exciting to be, you know, having data that could help with some of these issues. Yeah. Do you have any insights to share yet or or not yet? Are those still in flux? Um, Well, you know, our preliminary analysis, which doesn't include yet all of the um, data points, it's about half of the data points, um, but it suggests that people who um, are more likely to wear masks, who report they're more likely to wear masks, they also report having fewer social contacts. Mm -hmm. And people who are less likely to wear masks report having more social contacts. So to us, this suggests that there may be sort of two kinds of people, people (laughs) who are being more careful and less careful, as opposed to like, you know, oh, if I know I'm going out and encountering lots of people, I'm going to be more likely to wear a mask, right? It's not like there's a sort of risk management going on. It's um, like a, maybe individual differences in terms of tolerance for risk that might be mm-hmm. um, influencing that. And, you know, those kinds of things end up being important for, um, you know, how epidemiological models get parameterized, right? If you want to make predictions about how a disease is going to spread, you have to make assumptions about people's behavior. And, um, you know, when you have overlaps of things like people you know, being less likely to wear masks and also having more social contacts, that can dramatically change the dynamics of disease spread. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Going back a little bit to the question I asked previously, how did the survey responses change from the start of the pandemic to now? So we have um, data available, like I said, on our website where mm-hmm. you can kind of eyeball it um, up until the beginning of June. So from about, you know, beginning okay. of March to the beginning of June. And um, for some of the interdependence items, it looks like we're seeing a continued increase in the extent to which people perceive themselves as interdependent with others. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's... It's not for all of the items, but for many of them. Um, and then in terms of changes in people's willingness to help and cooperate, um, it looks like those have kind of stabilized after an initial period of change. Hmm. Um, 
the other thing that um that's that's interesting is um that people who have pre-existing medical conditions um seem to be a little bit different from the rest of the population in how they're responding to some of these items so um the changes in interdependence, for example, and perceived interdependence, um, quite a lot of that was driven by people who had pre-existing medical conditions. So, um, you know, in other words, if you know that you're a little more vulnerable, then you're more likely to see yourself as more interdependent with all of humanity and during a pandemic, which, which kind of makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it also kind of brings home this point that like, awareness maybe of of vulnerability and you know having those vulnerabilities um can sometimes make it so that you can see better what that you know true interdependence is right because in a in a pandemic right everybody is highly interdependent globally um totally. and uh and that seems to be maybe a little bit more hidden for people who don't have um, pre-existing conditions that might make them, you know, more vulnerable. That makes a lot of sense. It seems like the less privilege you have, the easier it is to see privilege in many ways. So Mm -hmm. that totally makes sense. Thank you so much, Athena, for chatting with us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Athena, for taking the time to speak with us today. Story Collider is so grateful to Athena for sharing her knowledge and Diana for sharing her story. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, the Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series is produced by me, Erin Barker, with assistance from Story Collider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and our new interim executive director, Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. The story featured in the first part of this episode was produced by senior producer Christine Gentry. The theme music is by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Stay tuned for two more stories in part two of Cooperation coming this Monday. Until then, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, love each other, and don't give in to that pressure to go to Thanksgiving if you don't want to go. You have Story Collider's official permission not to go to Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>